a lot of movement out west, and a big name change announcement. We're going to talk about that and much more here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. In any case, we're back again, episode number 98. You will never hear the conversations just went on in between the time of the cold nope. open and this, but it was a good one. So if you're on your best behavior this year at the Q&A at the end of this year, maybe I'll tell it, but maybe yep, you'll probably hear it right after the Wonka rant, but who yeah. knows? You really got to be on your best behavior though. That, that That's, that's. You got to go above and beyond to get that. Exactly. It's kind of like the class where it's like, okay, kids, if everybody gets an 85 or higher on their math tests, you can have a pizza party. That's the assignment here. 85s or higher. That's the goal. Exactly. High expectations. So you got to meet the, you got to meet the expectations or else you just don't get it. Exactly. You don't get it. I mean, you're not losing anything, but you're not getting anything. So exactly. So obviously, as you could probably guess, we got some, uh, some news in the headlines. We got a really cool rebrand that we'll talk about towards the end of the show. We got some news from the Pioneer League. We also have a couple of lawsuits and uh, some other miscellaneous news, too. So I suppose we could jump right on into this as uh, the lawsuits are a bit interesting, although they're not anything terribly different from what we saw with uh, Stat Island and several other minor league clubs. Uh, this time we got Tri-City filing a $15 million lawsuit against the Astros and Major League Baseball. Uh, the lawsuit essentially alleges that because of the Major League Baseball contraction and the Astros' decision to not retain the team as an affiliate, uh, the value of the franchise was uh, significantly damaged as a result of that decision. Now, uh, this is going to be a little bit difficult to prove, I'd imagine, uh, just based off the same thing as what the Stan Island lawsuit alleges. It's all the same boat, essentially, uh, that they're all saying because we are no longer affiliated, the parent club and the, you know, major leagues themselves irreparably harmed our damage however obviously the counter to that's going to be well look at all these other successful independent league teams including three that became affiliated uh after being independent for you know over a dozen years each obviously the value of the team isn't that well hurt that and also these teams are still appraised at a certain value it's going to be awfully difficult to prove that your value has been damaged until I'd imagine you have at least one year's worth of receipts. And even then, a 2021 gate is going to tell you, okay, well, you lost this much money from 19 when you last played. However, I'd imagine the major league argument is going to be, your value wasn't damaged. We offered to get you into the Atlantic League if you wanted to. So we gave you another spot to land where your value would conceivably be the same. And you can't use receipts from a year where it was half a pandemic and you had to use restrictions. It's not a fair comparison. So you'd have to wait till 22 to get real gate receipts. And then the argument would be, well, you didn't play baseball in 20. You didn't play usual baseball to full capacity business as usual in 21. So it's essentially like you had two years off. And of course, that's going to damage your gate. So I just see it being a very difficult thing to prove, at least for here. I think more or less the objective is just to try and find a settlement out of court, to be honest. But uh, I've talked long enough on this. I'll flip it over to Will for his thoughts on this Tri-City business. It definitely sucks. And I understand. I guess I understand the reasons for the lawsuit. I mean, Nick and I have spoken at length about how terrible this 
this minor league contraction is. But in a court of law, I do I do agree with you, Nick, that it's going to be kind of hard to prove for those reasons you just said. But not only that, another another argument the because I believe uh, some other specifics of the Tri City are alleging that hey, our sponsors are not our, our sponsors are not willing to pay as much or maybe not at all. Uh, considering the fact that we're no we're not an affiliated team anymore, and while I understand that argument, I, I can already I can already think of what the MLB is going to come back with, and they're going to be like, well, you might not be affiliated anymore, but the Frontier League season is probably what like thirty games longer than the uh, at least is, is thirty at least thirty games longer. Yeah, because they play ninety eight. Thirty games longer than a normal New York Penn League season. And so while you might be losing value on a on a per game basis from a sponsor from a sponsor perspective, on the other hand, you're still you're still in front of people's eyes, like the sponsors and billboards and ads and whatever. They're still in front of in front of people's eyes on more nights a lot more nights than there would be in a, in a normal New York Penn League season. So again, I, I just don't. I think you're right, Nick, when you say that they might just be doing this to attempt to get some sort of settlement out of court to try and get some money uh, from the MLB, maybe pr- probably from the MLB more than the Astros, uh, in order to kind of help them with their Frontier League transition, which is obviously not as much of a you definitely need some more f- money to play with in order to, to be in the independent ball business was, as we've talked about so many times. I, I just think that when looking at the merits of this lawsuit, I, I don't think, I think there's certain lawsuits that could actually, there, there's some that work. I don't think it could be just like a grouped. I, I don't think they could all be grouped into one category. I mean, for example, like if a, if a team were to be able to go, had to go completely defunct to like Staten Island or, or we'll even talk about a team later in the show that's kind of in a similar situation. But in the case of Tri City, I, I don't really see how the MLB would be legally at fault for, uh, for sponsors saying, Hey, we don't want to pay as much money. That and also the, the other thing that we're forgetting here is the agreement between the two parties was over. Like, right. there was no longer uh, any sort of an agreement. That expired in September. Now, you could allege that, you know, they knew it expired in, se- in September. So, for the months leading up to September, when that uh, agreement expired, they weren't negotiating in good faith. But, again, then you have to prove that they weren't negotiating in good faith, that they were doing things to make the whole process intentionally more difficult. They were adding new things in last minute that were unreasonable. You'd have to really go out of your way to prove that, which again is going to be difficult to do. And you make a good point with the sponsorship money. Sure, when you break it down on a per game basis, it may be lower. However, in the aggregate, it's made up because like you said, you have an additional month's worth of games that you're going to be playing where maybe you attract new sponsors that want more of a long run on their advertisements as opposed to guys that say oh no two months will be good if you're going to be running for three months it's like hey well you know if i can get may june july and august out of this as opposed to just like july and august you know it's a good deal so like i said these lawsuits are always very difficult to win just because again it's 
kind of an uphill battle. Plus, when you look at the legal and financial fortitude of the two parties here, I'm willing to wager that Major League Baseball and their teams have deeper pockets and more fortitude and better attorneys than uh, a minor league club would have. The only way I think that they legitimately have a shot at winning these types of lawsuits are if they decide to make it a class action, which I believe I heard or read somewhere that the attorney that's handling the Tri-City one is the same one that's handling the Stanton Island one. So they may be gearing up to make that uh, something of a... Uh, class action type lawsuit which then would change everything it would definitely change uh, well i shouldn't say it would change everything but it would make a bit of a difference here because now you have everybody lumping together to make one solid case against as opposed to you know various different ones they all have a similar complaint you just lob it into one uh that's the the basic of a class action there but regardless uh it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and like i said We'll know if they get their settlement or not uh, at some point, but it will be an uphill battle if they uh, keep at it alone. Uh, second lawsuit of the day, because, you know, uh, there's two lawsuits that are really worth talking about this it week. It is a double lawsuit day. I know. Double litigation. Double yep. litigation. Uh, the city of Pawtucket is suing the owners of the Pawtucket Paw Sox. Now, this is related on the simple basis of We've heard rumblings of teams wanting to go into Pawtucket. I've got messages about the possibility of a team going to Pawtucket, despite saying multiple times Pawtucket's not really a, a plan A or a plan B option because the ballpark's not up to snuff. And the city is saying the same exact thing, essentially, because their lawsuit's alleging that... Um, or the lawsuit is rather seeking damages for failure for failure to maintain and repair the stadium. Those repairs have yet to be made, but are estimated at about thirty-five million dollars. Which obviously, if you need to put thirty-five million dollars into a, let's see, McCoy's built around World War Two times, so that would be around forty, so about eighty years or so ago. If you're going to be dumping thirty-five million dollars into a 80 year old stadium you might as well just build a brand new stadium for 35 million dollars it just would make more sense to do that but then you also have to factor in where you're going to build it if you're going to build on the same grounds and there's demolition costs there's a whole slew of other expenses that come along with it but the point is that it's clear the city does not believe that this ballpark is in good shape it's clearly believed that the previous ownership was kind of neglecting the stadium and they want to take their uh, pound of flesh here so that way they can try to either redevelop the land or revitalize the land in some way shape or form but this either way will definitely affect uh, the future of baseball in that city because I have to imagine if the city is suing the ownership group of the current team they're not going to be very interested in either keeping a team there or putting a new team there and I'm not sure if you know this, because I certainly don't, but do you know if the owners of the Paw Sox are the same ones that own the now Worcester team? Or if they're different? Uh, yes, yes. Those, okay. that's, the, that's the same ownership group. That's he uh, headed by Larry Lucchino, okay. uh, who is, uh, he's not like the, he's like not a, the principal owner of the Red Sox, but he's like, you know, one, one of yeah, the. Yeah, he's a minority Sox. owner. 
Yeah, yeah. So he's like, but Larry Lucchino is is the uh, majority owner of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and now now the Worcester Red Sox. Okay, so then yeah, so then maybe it won't affect it as much because I don't imagine he'll uh, be having two teams like that. But uh, either way, it it will affect things because now they definitely need a new ownership group, and also uh, I imagine it sets a tone if you're looking to or bring a team into the into the city uh, of what you expect at that ballpark and what you expect to see from the city uh, moving forward. So, uh, any thoughts on the the whole issue at hand? Yeah, I, I think this just shows that I, I know there was a lot of interest in potentially bringing, uh, and I think an, an Atlantic League team is probably the 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 option that was most talked about to go to Pawtucket, and I, I've never been really on board with it just because it's a really old stadium. It's a really big stadium. Um, and with a triple a team, if you're only averaging like 4,500, 5,000 fans a night with Red Sox, triple a, I don't think that's going, that's definitely, I think that has the potential to take a nosedive once you, once you bring in, uh, an Atlantic league team, so and and it really just shows how much work would be needed if an Atlantic League franchise were to come in and try to and 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 try to have some success in Pawtucket. You would need to, I mean, you would either need to build a new stadium, you would need to uh, fix up McCoy Stadium. I, I, as far as who is at fault and do, are the Paw Sox responsible for repairing repairing their stadium? It's hard to say looking looking in from the outside just because, I mean, you kind of see both arguments. I mean, but you could also see the owners of the Paw Sox saying, if we're leaving in two years, why are we paying to uh, remodel this and remodel that? I, 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 under, I understand from that perspective, but I also understand from the city of Pawtucket saying, well, now, since you won't do anything and you own the stadium, now... Now, now the onus is upon the, the taxpayers of Pawtucket to to try and fix up this stadium. That's going to be hard to attract anybody uh, anyway. So, I, at the end of the day, I I'd be surprised if the, if the city of Pawtucket won this lawsuit. I mean, that's just a hunch. And going to be on, I, I probably think the most realistic possibility is that McCoy Stadium is knocked down and they just build something else there. I, I, it's hard for me to see how there's any future of professional baseball, both in, uh, both in McCoy Stadium and in Pawtucket in general. I, I just don't really see it at this point. And this lawsuit shows how bad of a situation it really is and what kind of, what kind of buzzsaw that an independent league owner who is trying to start a baseball team in Pawtucket what kind of buzzsaw they'd be walking into. I, I just don't think anyone's going to be willing to take the risk. And, and I think the city of Pawtucket knows the kind of situation that they're in. And it's obviously not, not a good one at all. Exactly. I agree with you. I think more than likely uh, McCoy's not going to be standing in five years. I think the, the mindset of the city of Pawtucket is they'd rather use that land for something else. I remember a while back, like an office park and a shopping center. And I want to say a soccer stadium was what was considered as a kind of a primary focus. And it is sad when you see older ballparks, ones that have a lot of history get torn down. There's fewer and fewer every year. So, I mean, it's never a positive to see that. 
but at the same time, it's probably the most likely course of action. And from an objective standpoint, it's probably the, also the best course of action if it's going to take th- really 35 million bare minimum to get that up and running to the condition it needs to be in to attract professional baseball talent because you're not going to put a summer college team in there. It just, it, the facility's not set up for that. And even if you renovate it, putting that much money in for an amateur league baseball team, and I don't see that being a practical decision either. The only thing I will say is I'm not sure if that's a privately owned stadium or not. I, I think, if I remember right, I want to say it's either the state or the city that owns that, that lot, or at least the stadium itself. I want to say that. I don't know that for certain, though. And if that's yeah, the case, then what, it, sure. this, yeah, then, then what it really comes down to is, what's the terms of that lease? Because the term of the lease is that, that they are responsible for maintaining and repairing the stadium, and they fail to do that. Regardless of whether or not you're leaving in two years or not, that's still a term of your lease. You're still obligated to do that. And if they didn't do that and they were delinquent in repairs and maintenance and now that's a financial hardship on the taxpayers, then the city has to go after them for, you know, violating the terms of the lease agreement. So it will be interesting to see here. Plus, we don't actually have the exact amount of money that the city is suing for that's undisclosed at this time. However, I'd imagine it's going to be close to the cost of the repairs. And, uh, yeah, I, I wonder how this is going to play out, but I don't think it plays out in a way that you see baseball still in uh, Pawtucket or, I guess, even Rhode Island in a hole at this yeah. point. I don't think they're... Yeah, re- regardless, I, I don't think it's... I, I, I think... I don't want to say it completely closes the door, but uh completely closes the door on professional baseball coming back to Pawtucket, but I think it, it, it comes pretty close to that. Yeah. The, the, the door is yeah. almost shut. I'd say that's pretty safe to say. Um, So moving on, uh, we go to that bit of news that you teased a little earlier about a team that's in a similar situation to those that became unaffiliated because they are one of them. And that is, and I'm probably going to screw up the the local pronunciation of it, but I believe it's the Kaiser Salem Volcanoes. Now, I could be pronouncing something wrong there. I don't think I am because this seems pretty straightforward this time, but who knows? If I'm wrong, I'll hear about it. Any case, they were teasing this announcement for about a week or so now, and then they really leaned hard into it yesterday, meaning Thursday, uh, that you're listening to this. And they said there's going to be an announcement coming on the team's future on Tuesday, and it's been widely expected that they're going to become an independent team. They're going to still play professional baseball, but judging by the little graphic they posted online, and I'll uh, link that in the show notes, of course, it seems as though they're going to be doing a mini circuit league type thing where you got four teams out of one ballpark. Think USPBL, but not uh, as new of a ballpark. So I'm going to be very interested to see how this all winds up playing out because the USPBL, their model works because they have a certain niche. They appeal to a very certain group of individual. They go with a very high tech focus. They're a very modern approach. They aren't very orthodox in how they attempt things. They're willing to change things up and go off on their own a little bit. And that's definitely worked to their ability. They are self-contained, but they know exactly who they're appealing to. And also they have the benefit of being just outside of Detroit. 
So you have a very large metro population, both from the city and from the suburbs, that all will come to that ballpark. So you have that advantage. I don't know terribly much about Kaiser Salem area in Oregon, because to be quite frank, I don't know much about the whole West Coast geography and how that's set up. So perhaps they're in a similar population setting. Perhaps they're going to take a similar technological approach. I don't really know. So I'm going to be very interested to see how everything plays out here because, I mean, it's no secret. We saw this whole past 2020 pandemic year with the various little circuit leagues and pop-up leagues that it's extremely difficult to make uh, this kind of a thing work for any duration of time. I actually think it worked pretty well this year in a lot of ways just because, I mean... People were looking for something to do. Um, obviously, the the attendance limits didn't didn't really help matters, but it was a good option. It was it was a safe option in in a in the terms of of a pandemic. I think you're right when you say that the U, the USPBL is the, they're definitely looking. Kaiser Salem is definitely looking for a type of league like that. But the USPBL is very, very good at staying, staying in their lane and doing things a certain way. And I think that when you're talking about making a pop-up league, I don't know if that's a long-term, a sustainable long-term option. Not to mention, I also don't really know, like, the market they're appealing to. Are they, are they trying to stay in professional baseball? Are they trying, or are they maybe doing a summer college? circuit league i mean to be honest with you i i just don't really i don't really see how this could work for any long stretch of time and i don't really know who they're specifically targeting it's th- there's a, there's a lot more questions than answers uh as far as making a circuit league like this for a for a long period of time and it's obviously like you mentioned it's not as New of a stadium as the as J- Jimmy John's Field, I believe it's yep. that's yeah, that's yeah Jimmy called. John's Field, and, and playing in Detroit is significantly different than playing in Oregon. I mean, I'm I'm not sure if that's in if Salem Kaiser's in rural Oregon near a city. You got Unlike me swinging. Nick, I I don't really know, but um, it, just speaking about pop up leagues in general, they can definitely work for a season, and it, that was really the only option for this past year. So it made a lot of sense that you saw so many pop up all over the place just out of necessity, but for a long, for, a, for it being a long-term solution, I, I have, I have my doubts. I, I have my doubts. Uh, although I can, I will say it might be one of their only options because I, I was, I, I was talking to, to Nick about this, before we before we started recording, and I, I guess I'll say it now because it's relevant. But you look at these teams that got contracted, uh, really in the Midwest, and there's more on the East Coast more than anything, and they have a they have an advantage because there's so many independent leagues that are looking for looking for teams, and you even have uh, you have a league like the MLB Draft League that is primarily focused on the East Coast of the U.S. Because it's so easy for scouts to get out there. I mean, it's very easy for a scout, an MLB draft scout, to go out to Trenton, New Jersey, and to go watch prospects and go scout prospects. It is a lot harder than there's a significant disadvantage for teams 
who lose their affiliation and are on the West Coast. Because the leagues around you, you're talking, I mean, for the, the Pioneer League is probably a stretch to, to consider that Pioneer League territory. I'd say probably not. Uh, and, I mean, you're looking at the Pecos League and the Pacific Association, like maybe if they wanted to go to Oregon. So it, it's a really tough situation for those teams out, out on the West Coast. And, I mean, I guess this might have been their only option in order to try and keep any semblance of baseball in that stadium. I'm not, I'm not sure of the specifics of their lease, but it, it's a pop-up league, although it might have been their only option. I don't see how it can work for a, for a long stretch of time unless you have a really good idea what your niche is, what your target market is, and uh, similar to how the USPBL has been successful. So I'll, I'll be interested to see, but I guess at the moment I, I have my doubts. Yeah, so I was just looking this up because I was very curious to know where this place actually is. That would be helpful, yes. Yes. So it appears it's about an hour away from Eugene, Oregon, and about uh, 45 minutes or so away from Portland, Oregon. So that gives you a general estimate of where it is. It's more along the coast, along, I guess it's Highway 5, which seems to be like the major interstate going through the state. It's more coastal than it is inland. However, I really wouldn't call it coastal. It still looks like it's a solid bit of mileage away from a coast. But it's it seems like it's a decent size. I'm not sure if I call it a city, but that's just because I kind of have a weird definition of a city. So it, it certainly is one of the larger population areas, I would think. Because, I mean, it's right outside of Salem, which looks like one of the larger uh, cities in Oregon. But regardless... Maybe it has the population to work, but there's also the West Coast League that's out there, which is one of the few leagues that is out there, because I know, Will, you were touching on that while I was looking up uh, where actually this place is, and you're all right. There's no real easy way for a scout to go and do a, a whole West Coast swing because, well, there really isn't any other leagues that's have like the West Coast League and then a handful of prospect leagues out there. And now, really, what is there? Like, you add the Pioneer League into unaffiliated ball or partnership ball or whatever you want to call it. So it is difficult there. Uh, again, <clears throat> like you, I'm interested to see how this plays out because we have such a positive view of, like, the <clears throat> the pop-up leagues for this year because we understand the conditions that they were created under and that there was an understanding this is not a long-term solution. This is just kind of a bandage until we can get uh, to better days ahead. So I'm not sure how sustainable this is, but then again, you look at the USPBL, like we've been saying, and they've managed to do their thing for a long time now, since I believe like 2013, 2014, that general range. So it's certainly doable. You can make it work. It just takes a lot of work to do it. And in fact, we're going to have more information on this coming to you next week because we do have an interview slated for next week. And I'm just checking my planner right now so that way I don't mess up the name. Okay, I did have it right. Uh, next week, we will be talking with Mickey Walker, the CEO of the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, to get more information on whatever is happening. So whatever the official announcement is, even though, like I said, we it's pretty obvious it's going to be a circuit league at this point. But we'll talk about everything surrounding the area, the baseball in the area. Area, uh, maybe tradition of baseball, and, and you know, everything under the sun. And we're, of course, going to dive deep into whatever the announcement is and uh, 
it should be able to spread a lot of light on this whole situation and provide some clarity so that way we know what the hell is going on over in oregon so uh yeah yeah that gives you something to stay tuned for and with that we can switch over to our next uh topic of the day which is a real uh lengthy saga really is the only way to call this and it is the jackson general saga now if you remember right they were one of the teams that were not included in the uh, 120 uh, affiliates they were cut and we were talking about them a bit we said oh well maybe the atlantic league but then upon further review it's like ah, not really and they're kind of in a weird spot in jackson tennessee where they're not really in anybody's territory but at the same time they do make some sense for just about everyone but who wants to really take the shot at them is to be is really the question at hand here so as of january 20th the situation was that the team had to vacate the ballpark by february 15th that the lease required an affiliated team and that the team could not leave the southern league otherwise the lease would uh, be voided i suppose and that the city was looking for uh, proposals to use the site. So either a new team, a concert venue, whatever it may be, they were looking for things to put on that site. Then, the following day, so Thursday now, the 21st, the general's majority owner responded to that. This guy is David Freeman. He wrote a two-page letter, and the letter maintains that the lease is still valid and that Pro Ball will remain and more concerts will be at the ballpark, more activities will be at the ballpark, you know, the usual drill here, or find more uses for the ballpark, for revenue, you all know how this works by now. Now, from my understanding of that letter, and the situation as a whole, the disagreement here is essentially over a technicality. According to Freeman and the generals, the lease is still valid because... It requires that they either be in a single A, double A, triple A, or affiliated system, and they are not allowed to withdraw from the Southern League. It does not mandate they must be in the Southern League. So technically speaking, they were kicked out of the Southern League. They were not allowed to continue in the Southern League. They did not leave willingly. Thus, the lease is still valid. That is the argument. Now, if the city really does not want them there and wants to terminate this lease for whatever reason, they could just simply argue, well, you still aren't in an affiliated system and you're not in the Southern League and you didn't, you're not exactly living up to uh, spirit of the ruling as well as that first condition. Now, I'm not sure if I misread about they must be affiliated or if it was just kind of like, well, if they're in the Southern League, then they are affiliated, so that meets both conditions. Now, because they're not in the Southern League, that does not meet either condition, and so now they're gone. I could be misreading that. I want to get that cleared away off the bat here. But still, it seems like they they do have a point, although I see this one heading for litigation. I just don't see any way that this gets resolved peacefully. It's probably going to wind up as a messy divorce, Although the team did offer to give back or reimburse rather the city for $400,000 a year annually to maintain the ballpark. And yeah, that's, uh, that's the current situation as it stands now. There also is one other little interesting nugget here, 
which says the lease would uh, be invalidated, invalidated if the Southern League were to fold, which obviously it didn't do that, but that's another way where the lease could become invalidated. The Southern League just didn't exist. I don't really see this ending in any clean way. I get the sense the city is kind of done with this and wants them gone, and I get the sense that the generals know that their position entirely hangs on that technicality that they didn't withdraw, they were thrown out of the Southern League. And uh, I know I'm kind of restating myself here, but I do wonder, with a team that has no league, you could go the Salem-Kaiser route and try and host four teams out of your ballpark. You could go the route of trying to find another league to play in, like Tri-City. You could go, I suppose, a summer college ball. There's got to be uh, some league uh, in the Mid-South that will take them. I just don't see it being a happy marriage between city and private owner if you're going to be fighting over this. And if you're going to be giving the money back when you're not obligated to do that, perhaps you understand that your situation is very precarious and you just want to get to the negotiating table to find a way to settle this before it goes to court because you don't like your odds. That's just my uh, kind of feeling on this as it stands right now. It's an unfortunate situation. Obviously, this is going to head to court. Um, kind of how I read it, to not, I guess, repeat too much of what, what Nick said, it almost kind of seemed like the mayor of Jackson and the city of Jackson was kind of looking for an excuse to get them out anyway. I mean, you're, if you're looking at attendance numbers, they're in, uh, in 2019 in the Southern League, uh, just, you know, despite being a double A team, Jackson only drew 1,700 fans a night. So I, this is not one of the pillar franchises of the Southern League. This is no Chattanooga. This is no Birmingham or, or, or any, any of those markets who have been very successful for a long time. It kind of seems like to me they were looking for an opportunity to do something else with the land and they kind of i i, I don't want to say like jump the gun but they they, they look for an opportunity and this opportunity presented itself i don't know how successful jackson would be moving into um moving into a league or really going any route in baseball just because it doesn't seem like the fan base is there i mean if you're drawing 1700 fans a night as a double a team that's that's pretty concerning. Uh, I mean, there's there should be red flags. Uh, of course, that doesn't really have anything to do with the lease itself because that's all written language, you know, argued over in court. It's obviously going to be headed to court, and unfortunately, this is the reality because w- when the MLB said, "Oh, we're not contracting anybody," we'll find them a home. Uh, we'll make sure that we're committed to make sure that baseball remains in all of these uh, cities that lose their affiliation in some capacity, well, it, pro- it shows that was a lie. It shows that the MLB maybe would, uh, would foot the bill as far as, en- as entering, uh, entering these teams into leagues. But at the same time, the MLB is not doing any of the hard work. They're not, they're, they're not reaching out to leagues and saying, hey, can you take this team? At the end of the day, they're letting that up to the team. So at the end, of the, they're not helping them find a new league or, or really a new place to play at all. 
uh, to be honest with you, it was really all just big, one big lie. And that's really sad. And unfortunately, if the Jackson generals lose this court case, they're going to be evicted. And uh, at the end of the day, that's the sad reality of a team losing their affiliation. And it, it, it's really sad to see. And unfortunately, this, this is the bad part of, of minor league contraction and it really is contraction no matter what no matter what words spin that the MLB wants to put on uh saying that they'll they'll make sure that all these cities still have baseball obviously as we have seen that that is not true that that just is not true and in this case is, is a perfect example of that and it's really sad to see and we'll we'll see what happens in court i think i understand the argument from both sides i hope they're able to keep baseball in Jackson in some capacity the 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 wording of, of the contract is it, it, it's kind of weird so i'm not i'm not sure uh, that's why judges get paid the big bucks and we do not yeah. so so we'll we'll see what happens but it's really an unfortunate situation yep definitely and i will be interested to see in some time if it comes out that are what comes out about how much Major League Baseball tried to help these teams because they could be doing things behind the scenes and we don't know it but it does seem odd that if they were doing that they wouldn't be publicizing that you know it seems like a pretty easy uh, PR win to publish that but who knows but uh, it is sad to see that communities are going to be without baseball that once had it and I guess there is an argument to be had here where like if you're only surviving based off of this one thing then you weren't really in a position or you didn't deserve to survive anyway. But I would say at the same time though, uh, it's not really my money and somebody's enjoying it and it just seems like it's a harmless type thing. So why not let it run regardless? Uh, this is going to be a situation that develops over time. I don't see it ending anytime soon and hopefully it results with there being some baseball in Jackson, but who knows? Well, we'll have to wait and see as that uh, develops itself there. Uh, Moving over now to some Pioneer League news. Uh, I'll just kind of combine the two, although I have them written down separately here. Uh, We have the Boise Hawks manager situation. That's been resolved. The Boise Hawks, they've joined the Frontier League after they've been uh, cut from affiliated ball. Uh, They have tabbed the former Boise State uh, head coach, Gary Van Toll. Nick, you mean mean Pioneer League, right? Yeah, Pioneer. What did I say? You said Frontier League. Oh, wow. I do that a lot, don't I? <laughs> I bet it's I do. I just, I just wanted to make sure so you uh, yeah, no, thanks for catching didn't me confuse that. the masses. Yeah, thanks for catching me on that. Yeah, no, they're in the Pioneer League. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be fun. Imagine having to take the road trip from, like, Quebec City all the way out to, to, uh, to like, Bo- Boise. Uh, what the yeah, that, that would be that'd be very fun for those teams. Hey, go, go from New York to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> That's a fun I can't even imagine. Can't even. And you were complaining about the bus trip from like Lexington to Long Island. Oh yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a different breed. Oh god, yeah. Any case, so Boise joined the Pioneer League, and they tabbed their former local college head coach, Boise State coach uh, Gary Van Toll, to be the head coach. He's been coaching since '91. He actually did manage the Hawks back in 2013, 2014. Uh, but most of his career has been in college ball. So it'll be interesting to see how that winds up playing out. And then the Northern Colorado Owls, uh, another Pioneer League team, uh, relocated from Orem, Utah, 
uh, to, I believe it's like Windsor, Colorado, brand new facility they're moving into. Uh, they'll start in 2022. They were originally slated to begin in 21, but the facility is not done yet. So they're going to take 21 off, get a fresh start in 22. And uh, once the stadium opens, they'll have a brand new ball club uh, that will begin play around Memorial Day weekend as the Pioneer League does. So thoughts on the uh, two bits of Pioneer League news. So uh, the one thing I wanted to touch on was the uh, the, the hiring of, of Van Tol to uh, to manage the Boise Hawks. I think it's interesting because it satisfies one of two things you're looking for when you're a market that's trying to establish yourself in indie ball. You're looking for a guy with with local ties and who's who the community knows, uh, which obviously Van Tol certainly does. Uh, he's been, been, been with, affiliated with Boise State for, for a long time. Uh, people certainly know him in the community. That part is good. However, I'm a little, I, I, I question a little bit just because he obviously has no independent ball experience. And this is obviously much different than when he managed the, the Boise Hawks for, uh, for, for a season or, um, when he was an assistant coach. It's it's a it's a whole different ball game than affiliated baseball, and putting in someone who doesn't have any experience with that, it's an interesting choice. However, I understand it from the sense that hey, we wanted to put a guy who has local ties, he's in the community, to try and drum up interest for a team that's moving from being, I believe, the Rockies' uh, short season team, uh, which you'd have prospects coming in and out of there, and you're moving to a to a league like the Pioneer League, you gotta drum up some interest. So I understand it from that perspective, but it is a whole different ballgame and maybe his his past in college helps him because he's gonna be recruiting players. So I guess I guess we'll have to see. But it the I, I, I see both sides of um of of I, I see the concern for bringing him in and I also see the positive side just because you want somebody who's there to drum up interest. So we'll see what happens. And uh, although, it, like I said, it is yeah. a, it's a whole different ballgame. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I I think this was one, just one of those cases where you had to pick either local figure or indie ball experience because there just isn't anyone with both. Uh, yeah. So I think they made the right call here because everyone in that league is going to kind of be on a level playing field for, you know, as far as experience goes in that regard. So I do think it's an overall good hire. I mean, the dude's got, what, 30 plus years of experience at this point, like 31 years or so of coaching baseball on some level. I think he's going to do fine. Like you said, he's going to be mainly recruiting younger guys and being a college coach for like 20 some odd of those 31 years. That's certainly going to help you relate to younger guys and know how to get them into that uh, organization there. So I think it overall will work out. Plus, like I said, it's still the Pioneer League. It's going to be pretty much business as usual with a couple of exceptions. I think while normally I would agree that, you know, you need a guy with indie ball experience there. And if you're in the Frontier Atlantic or American Associations, I would say you absolutely need experience over local. I think that's way more important. Pioneer is a little different. I think it's more important that uh, you have a stronger front office that knows the system as opposed to a manager. Obviously, we know that the manager does an awful lot, almost like 
uh, assistant GM type role in indie ball. And that certainly is something that, uh, there's going to be a bit of an adjustment period for. But at the same time, as long as the front office knows what their budget's going to be and the restrictions they're going to have and how everything's going to operate, I think I'll be fine in that this was probably the right decision because the best way to get people into the ballpark is to use a local to get them there. So uh, I do like that decision. And it is a, a little sad that uh, Windsor's going to have to wait a little bit before they get baseball back. But it's probably also a good thing that the Owls will just get a clean start in 22 when everything should be back to normal, business as usual, and uh, they shouldn't have any sort of restrictions or anything to unveil a brand new ballpark in. So, uh, that's so is, is the is the Pioneer League going with seven teams then for this year? Probably, I'd imagine. So a, tra- a traveling team or something? Pro- they'll probably have to run a traveling team out there. Seven's a bit awkward. I think it would depend on how many games they're planning on playing. I mean, they yeah they ended on like a multiple of seven as far as games played, then they could probably work it out. Yeah. So, so that'll be interesting. Exactly. I, I don't. I don't think a Road Warriors team for a Pioneer League team would be very fun. But oh, we'll that it would be an experience, is what it would be. Yeah, certainly. You know, I just realized what they'll probably wind up doing. What? Selena Stockade. <laughs> Every team does it. There'll be like a Selena Stockade, a Hollywood Stars. It'll be something like that. They'll grab a Pecos League team for a couple of months. Yeah. Okay. But it makes the most sense. I mean, like. It's a team that really won't affect the standings at all, but the games will count all the same. You don't have to pay for that team outside probably just uh, essentially a fee just to have them play over there. All in all, it'll probably work out just fine. I could see that. Like, that's what the Frontier League did once, I think. I really Can-Am did it. My mistake was when they were still separate. The Can-Am League did it, and I think technically the American Association did that one year, too. But, I did not know that. Yeah, it was a while back, though, but I'm pretty sure they did that. I know the Can-Am did it, though. Uh, With Selena? Selena and Hollywood, yeah. Actually, I wow. think in the Carson Lee interview, he talked a little bit about that. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah, everyone should go back and listen to that interview, because that was actually a really fun one. But, yeah. But uh, Yeah, so we'll move on to, I guess, the uh, crown jewel topic of the of the episode, which is also the last one, too, coincidentally, which is the big rebrand. Uh, Kansas City T-Bones, they were teasing a big announcement for about a week now. Uh, I know I was talking with Will about this because I saw a rumor flying around online that they were going to add, like, six teams in Metro Detroit or something stupid like that. It's not even crazy. It's just stupid. There's not enough teams around there. Uh, common sense would dictate that that makes no sense logically. Um, but regardless, so there was a lot of out there off-the-wall theories as to what this could be. But we kind of agree, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, that we thought, oh, okay, it's just going to be like a sponsorship deal or something like that. Yeah. Or like they're renaming the ballpark, or they're going to show yeah, off like the a, renovations. Yeah, like a boring thing. Exactly. It's going to be like one of those, look, it's a big deal because they're paying us to make it a big deal type deals. <laughs> Which, again, I got no problem with that. I understand. Budgets are tight. You got to do what you got to do. As long as ball still gets played in the park and in the communities, I'm cool with it. Do what you got to do. Regardless... We were everyone was wrong because it was a rebrand. Now keep in mind they just like redid the logo and the color scheme last year, but now they have a brand new name, a brand new logo. Or really, it isn't exactly brand new. They brought one back from the dead, which is 
the Kansas City T-Bones are now the Kansas City Monarchs. Now, if that name is familiar to you, that is because that is the name of the old Negro League team. Uh, had a lot of really, really famous guys playing on that team. Uh, probably most notably would be Jackie Robinson, uh, Satchel Paige, and Ernie Banks all playing uh, for Kansas City uh, during that time. So they will now carry on that legacy. And also there's going to be some... Uh, Youth Softball and Baseball Academy set up uh, with that same name as well. So the Kansas City Monarchs are now quite literally living history. And I'm not sure about you, but I really do love the name. I think, and I saw I put up a poll on the Instagram uh, page as well, and it was 88 to 12 in favor of liking the name over disliking it. And uh, I, I really do like it. I think it's very cool to bring back the history of it. I think it shows off another aspect of probably the MLB partnership where it helped, you know, relate back to the Negro Leagues and everything. I think it brings into not only the history of the game, but the history of the community as well. I think it definitely uh, adds a lot of prestige to uh, just by doing that alone. There's a it's also done in a very tasteful and respectful way as well, where they kept, uh, I'm not sure if it's the same exact logo, but very similar to what it would have been. And all in all, I really do, I like this rebrand. I didn't think I was going to exactly love it, but they definitely took a turn from more of a typical minor league name to a much weightier name with a lot more respect. And all in all, I think it was very well done. I think it's a very tasteful rebrand. I, I absolutely absolutely love this like i i absolutely love it 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 is i never would have guessed it because i i never would have guessed that the team would do it uh it to be honest with you the possibility did not even come up in my head that it could possibly happen uh but i'm so glad it did it is it, it is such a great it is such a great move but by, by the t-bones to one be open to doing this i'm i'm sure there's i'm glad that the uh the mlb because i'm not sure who owns the branding and the logo or whatever but I'm glad they let them be able to do it it, it is it is so great because i i mean i guess the, the negro leagues received uh, a lot of press during during the year 2020 because it was uh the the hundredth anniversary um of of the negro of the negro leagues in general so and it, there's no better way to, to honor a team like that than to, well, make, make the Kansas, to bring back the Kansas City Monarchs. It is a, uh, it, it's a great way to honor the past. Um, I mean, the Negro Leagues is, was a time, uh, I mean, there's so many talented ball players. I mean, Nick ran off some of them that, that have played with the Kansas City Monarchs. It, it is such a great way to bring back history. Not to mention the the uh, Negro League Baseball Museum is in Kansas City. So, hmm. uh, so it is ob- obviously there's a lot of um, a lot of excitement around the Negro Leagues because I believe the Negro League Museum is still kind of new. So I think it's a great way to draw attention uh, to the museum, to the history of the Negro Leagues, and, and it is. I, 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 it's, it's hard to put into words. I'm so excited that, that they decided to, uh, to make the T-Bones, the Kansas City Monarchs, such, it's such a great way to honor history and, and honor the Negro Leagues and honor baseball in Kansas City, um, a long time ago. And it, it, it's awesome. And I, I love the way the logo turned out. And, uh, I, I can't wait to see the team in action 
I, I hope they win a lot of games. And so I, I'm re- really excited that this is the route they decided to go. I was pleasantly surprised because I did not think the move, like you said, Nick, I did not think the move would have been something this drastic. But it, it is it's really exciting and kudos to the T-Bones and kudos to uh, the MLB. And I'm sure, I'm sure the people, the folks over at the Negro league museum had a hand in it as well. Kudos to all of them for making it happen. It's truly awesome. Oh, absolutely. I I definitely do want to get on uh, some people in the, I guess now Monarchs organization and just talk about the whole move with them and how it all came about and, and everything like that. Like that's definitely something that would definitely be cool to do. Because, like you said, it came out looking really good, too. Like, that's one of those things. Like, this isn't just, like, some typical, like, pandering or anything. It came out looking very well done. Like, it's a very nice rebrand. Like you said, it relates very heavily to the community itself. And it honors a tradition of baseball in that city. And uh, with the museum being there as well, it opens a whole host of possibilities. And I'm really excited to see... uh, how everything turns out and honestly it almost makes me want to go all the way out to kansas city just to see a game oh there. i know because i know it, it does it, it, it's really it's really it's energizing really awesome stuff yeah i it, mean the possibility you're right the possibilities are endless i mean you could you could bring in like legend legendary black baseball players who i'm sure would be willing to go over and to go, go out to kansas city and throw out a first pitch there or something like that there, there's it, it's a great way to bring attention not not only to the team but to uh to have i'm sure they'll have something in the ballpark about the history of the kansas city monarchs and it, it, it's it's just great in so many ways it's it, it's funny because you think about where the t-bones were it, it, it was it was it was after like their 2019 season right where yeah. they had the whole like lease mess and people weren't sure if they were going to exist anymore uh, it was just a huge mess. I mean, what yeah. a turnaround. They got, they got a new ownership group, right? Yeah, Mark Brandmeyer wound up buying the team. Okay. And he's done a, a tremendous job so far. I mean, he's just done a total 180 on Complete, everything. Outstanding. I mean, from a team that was massively in debt, I mean, to, to owners that really had no idea what they're doing, to, mm. to turn around the an indie ball market like this, it, it, in this, in this amount of time, is truly extraordinary. I mean, it really is. He's done... The new ownership group has done an, an outstanding job uh, w- with the T-Bones, now Monarchs. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, this brings the hopefully this brings some attention. And may- maybe, may- maybe just maybe, I got to get some Kansas City Monarchs merch. May- oh. Maybe just maybe. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like one of the things I'd love to see them do is just have like a Monarch of the game type thing where perhaps you in either like a game program or just up on the video board and then you have maybe like a folding table set up on the concourse where you can go and you can like pick up information about a one player that played for the original Kansas City Monarchs and you can learn about them and their story both on and off the field and everything like that and really make it a whole educational experience on top of that. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. And you could just really do an awful lot with that too. And you know, it would be really cool too to see. And I know I may be pushing it here, and I know this isn't traditionally a thing that's done too often in independent league baseball, although it does happen still. Yeah. Would be yeah, if, it, it's so exciting. Yeah, it would awesome. be would be if they on their opening day or early on in the season, if they were to retire the numbers of all like the formerly really great monarchs too, 
to kind of pay homage to to that history as well. I think that'd be really cool if you retired like uh, Ernie Banks, Satchel Paige. Obviously, 42 is retired across all of baseball. Uh, After Rivera's gone, no one else has that number now uh, for Jackie Robinson. But uh, to see all of those numbers retired too, I think would be something. Or at the very least, put in some sort of, you know, place where it could be maybe like a Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame or something like that. I think that would be really cool as well. Yeah, agreed. There's, there's so many possibilities. It's such a, mm. it's a such a great turnaround to that franchise, and so it, it's it's so, something you love to see. It's a very very exciting stuff. Exactly. And if we're that excited here in New Jersey, imagine how excited you'd be if you're in Kansas City. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. this is the kind of thing that gets people into the ballpark just alone, just because of the hype based off of it. And, you know, it's really exciting to see that things like this happen. So, uh, definitely yeah. great A work there, uh, by, uh, Kansas City as a whole. And also, I do want to give, uh, the league themselves their, uh, their due as well. I mean, Josh Shop's sure. done a tremendous job since coming in. Obviously, he's taking over from a legendary figure in Miles Wolf, and he's just hit the ground running as it's been. And I'm sure he also played a instrumental role in helping get this moving and, you know, everything, how the league operates, too. So he deserves some uh, some praise in this as well, I imagine. Sure, yep. yep. Uh, so with that, we're kind of out of news for the week. Uh, you got a decently long show, probably about an hour or so. Uh, when everything's all said and done here. So we can get to the plugs and then I suppose get out of here. So if you want to follow the show, you can do so wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Spitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Like I said, just about anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. If you want more Indie Ball Report content, be sure to hit up the website. That's IndieBallReport.com. There's articles, which every week now I'm making a tradition of saying, I have to write something and then never writing anything because I'm lazy. Uh, there's YouTube videos. There's a slew of other content, including the show notes. If you want to look up anything we t- discussed today, it'd be there. So be sure to check that out. If you want to stay up to date with everything that we're doing or just news throughout the week that sometimes makes it into the show, sometimes doesn't, and just, you know, the occasional hot take or whatever, be sure to follow uh, the Twitter page at IndieBallPod. And be sure to follow along on Instagram at ALP underscore news if you want to follow Will and everything and anything in the Atlantic League. And if you want more general coverage of every independent league, be sure to follow the official podcast Instagram page, which is Indie Ball Report. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Uh, the one thing left to add today, uh, really, obviously, we're, we're recording on a Friday. This will be released on a saturday like normal i assume yep um really really sad and terrible news breaking this morning for people listening it'll be yesterday morning uh, the passing of baseball legend uh the true home run king in my mind hank aaron who had to, had as great of a baseball player as he was um an amazing amazing person um a guy who Back playing in the deep south in Atlanta uh, in the the sixties and seventies, had to deal with so much racism, so much hate, and it, it is he, he truly lit, made his mark and lived a wonderful life. And it, it was really really sad to see the news this morning that that he passed away at eighty six years old. So he, he certainly left his mark on the game. Like I mentioned in my mind, the home run king. Uh, great player, great person, 
uh, really was an inspiration to generations of, of, of baseball players. And so really sad news this morning and definitely wanted, de- definitely wanted to make sure that that was thrown into this episode. So rest in peace to the great Hank Aaron. Yeah, I second that. I mean, like every like 20 years or so, I kind of have as a division of players in my mind where I have like three separate divisions rather where it's like before the 80s, then the 80s to like the 2000s and then from the 2000s on. That's kind of like my block of when I think of major league players and each era has its own just group of just amazing ball players. But that kind of era before the 80s where you have guys in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and the 40s and so on and so forth it seems like those guys are tremendous baseball players but that pales in comparison to the kind of people they were off the field because when you think like for me there's a couple of guys that come to mind immediately when I think of baseball players from that era the guys like Willie Mays Roberto Clemente and then the uh, one other guy is Hank Aaron, where I think these are three of, if not the best, one of the best players of all time. And that just doesn't even compare, especially in the case of Clemente, to the kind of people they were off the field. And Hank Aaron, like you mentioned, he had to deal with just so much torment off the field when he's chasing down Babe Ruth's record. I mean, I can't even imagine you suit up, take the field, you play tremendous because you're Hank Aaron and you are rightfully the home run king, and every regard, I mean, even Bonds juicing to hell and back, and to me it's clear as a day when he started juicing, barely breaks his record. I mean, it's only set by, I believe, seven or so home runs. It's not like it's tremendously shattered. Yeah. He broke it. He didn't break it by much, though. So that yeah. goes to show you just how impressive that was, especially in the 70s when you don't have these modern training techniques. You don't have the whole sports science as it is now and as it's been developed. You don't even have modern sports rehab as it was. And the game is just a lot tougher. The travel was tougher, everything. And he manages to do that. And he does all of this, then, mind you. Then he goes off into the locker room and he finds out he has 13 death threats because he's closing on a Babe Ruth's record. Like, I just find that so amazing that you're able to do what he did on the field and still be the kind of person he was off the field. It's mind-boggling to me. And so I had a different rant planned, uh, but I feel as though just given the time to Hank Aaron is the better course of action. So uh, rest in peace to Hank Aaron, one of the true well was living legends but now just one of the legends of the game and i would say arguably the best pure hitter of all time when you just look at the stats he has if we're just talking about him as the baseball player there's a very strong argument to made that he is just the best pure hitter of all time and certainly the best pure power hitter yeah very strong very strong case to be made there yeah so with that said, uh, I don't think we have anything else left to add this week. Uh, you know the drill around here. We'll end this show like we end every show. Uh, don't forget to play ball. Play ball.